1: And a very good Wednesday morning to you. Let me stay with the weather just for a couple of minutes because looking out the window it's just a little gentle breeze blowing what I'm looking out at and there's, you know, some clouds there but there's some nice blue skies as well but that is a bit deceptive for what's going to happen today because we've got a blustery and a breezy morning but then the winds are really going to pick up this afternoon and throughout the day we're going to be hit by showers. Some of those showers will be very heavy which could lead to a localised flooding. Um, Met Aaron have issued a wind warning. Now the wind warning covers from Mayo right down along the Atlantic coast right down to us here in Cork and that wind warning is in place from 3 o'clock this afternoon right through this evening into tonight to tomorrow morning. It's going to be windy everywhere we're looking at gusts of 90 to 110 kilometres per hour. As I say it kicks in from about 3 o'clock this afternoon so I'll give it a mention now to take a look out in your garden in case you have any nice garden furniture that needs to be moved or plant pots or whatever. Get them out of the way, uh, please uh, for because of that wind warning that is uh, uh, coming in. the good news is that the conditions will ease tomorrow and tomorrow is going to be a dry well let 's see lots of dry spells uh, tomorrow with even some sunshine, so we can look forward to that. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls this morning at eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. texting and WhatsApping also available at 0862 103, 103. and I want to start. This morning with the story that's in all of the papers on news bulletins and, and including our own news bulletins. And this is the story of a young woman who I think is beyond brave to have gone public. It's the young 21 year old Cora Desmond from your And uh, she is encouraging victims of domestic abuse to speak out and to seek help. Cora was speaking to C103 News yesterday after her stepmother was jailed for two years for abusing her. And Cora was abused from the age of six. Imagine a little one, little six year old right up to when she was 16. Bridget Keneally from the Green Dungoran in Yall pleaded guilty to a charge of assaulting causing harm. The court heard that she used to beat Cora. She used to force her to eat hot spices and told her she was like Cinderella because nobody loved her. The psychological abuse and effect that that must have had on young uh, Cora. And Cora had decided to waiver her anonymity because she said she doesn't want other victims to suffer alone and to suffer in silence. And that's why I think this girl is so incredibly brave. And I think by her speaking out... I think others will hear her story, will see what she has done, will see that she got justice yesterday in court and it might just prompt somebody else to go to their local guard, station, to say, look, me too, it's been happening uh, to me. Cora was speaking after the court yesterday to our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran.
0: What was your reaction to the sentence that was imposed today? I was completely and utterly shocked.
4: Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, To be honest, I was expecting her to walk away and just kind of get a slap on the wrist, maybe. But it's some bit of justice, you know. It, it's something, um, and it's better than nothing.
0: Was it a difficult choice to make to report it to the Gardaí, and then was a it difficult, a difficult process to get from there to here? Um,
4: well, it was only thanks to my mum that I actually reported it when I did, because I was going to wait until I was 18, until I could legally be an adult and leave and whatever and report it myself and everything, but we couldn't wait. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was it was hard, you know. Um, it was scary because I didn't know what she was actually capable of when she was to find out.
0: Um, but
4: it's, we've got where we are today, so
0: it was all worth it. You read out a very powerful victim impact statement in court. Um, what was some of the abuse like I, I don't really want you to go into all of it but what was kind of the worst bits that she inflicted on you?
4: There was just so much that I can't really say oh this was the worst but um, I think to be honest it was just the fact that I was singled out so much and I lost so much freedom and my childhood and everything like that I just I think that was kind of what affected me the most other like I mean the abuse it affected me but I think mentally it's affected me more than it did physically. It was just a constant daily battle of will it happen today, will it not? You know, how bad is it going to be? It was just...
0: it was tough. And it started when you were six, is that right?
4: Yep. Um, I was not long after turning six, I think. Um, because obviously it was a pretty long time ago, I was pretty young. Um, but, yeah... 10 years, 6 until 16.
0: She made you eat things like vinegar and...
4: Large portions of vinegar, salt, pepper, chilli powder, mustard, the whole lot. Um, she'd, make, she'd force feed me. Um, it was it was tough and still to this day I, I can't have certain things um, because of the long lasting effects of it. She
0: actually broke your your thumbs broke oh. my thumb.
4: Um she twisted my hand so much that it eventually snapped the bone. Um I think I was in first year so I was like thirteen. Um it was just before the summer. And she told my dad and made me tell everybody that I fell out the back garden because there was holes in the back garden we had just moved into the house and there was the back garden was destroyed and she said that I fell in that and that's how I did it but the doctors in the hospital knew straight away from where the injury was that it couldn't have possibly happened that way and Was it regular
0: beatings? How often would it have happened? Every day.
4: Every day There was some times where you know I'd get a break for a day as such where she'd have a good day you know she'd be in a good mood and she'd be out of the house or something like that and you know I wouldn't get a beating that day or but she'd make sure that she made up for it the next day
0: She'd make sure <laughs> So when, you know, your friends and your other step-siblings were out enjoying themselves, you were at home being forced into just kind of... Scrub the house, clean
4: up after her kids, clean up after her. Um, it was just constant, it was never-ending. And if something wasn't done, or if it wasn't done properly, you'd pay for it.
0: Do you feel she robbed you of your childhood?
4: Completely. Completely robbed me of my childhood. Like, a child is supposed to be carefree, happy, living their life. Not worrying about anything, but whereas I was living in fear the whole time, you know, I was living a double life for eleven years. How
0: does a child of that age cope
4: with what happened to you? I think I just knew that I had to live, I had to survive. As such, um, I think I just kept telling myself that I was, I was going to get out one day, and it, it was. I kept telling myself that it's just one day. It's not going to happen again tomorrow. It's it's not going to keep happening. It's just, i done something wrong. It was my fault and I deserved it. That's what I was told. But I realise now that I didn't deserve any of it.
0: And, I mean, you were hospitalised. So did alarm bells not ring for anybody? Or they did do. it carry on for so long?
4: Um... Because I was threatened so much that I'd be put into foster care and I'd be separated from my family and I'd never see my sister or my dad or anything like that again because at the time, my little sister wasn't born yet when it Mm -hmm. obviously started. Um, So I think it was more fear to keep quiet than anything else. So it was just follow the excuses you were told to follow and that's it, don't give any more information kind of thing.
0: She gave excuses in court, but I mean, just reading what happened um, she called you like Cora Ella and it was nearly like it was a control, and Cinderella, it was like a control thing more than that she couldn't cope I mean it was pure cruelty
4: It was um, I think that affected me a lot more and it still affects me now because people still to this day not not realising if I'm you know I used to work as a cleaner in a hotel so I was constantly cleaning and whatever, and everybody was saying, Oh, Cora Ella, Cora Ella, not realizing that I was actually called that growing up as a control thing, you know. Um, but I think it's. It was like a. You couldn't write it.
0: And how has it affected you now, like physically and mentally?
4: Um. Well, when I first got out of it four years, four and a half years ago, I. Was self-harming for over two years at that point. I was self-harming up until two years ago. I was critically depressed, constantly anxious. Still to this day, I suffer with depression and anxiety and paranoia to go anywhere and on my own because in the past I was intimidated by her and her family being around but now with her not being around anymore, thankfully, I know that I can happily walk around the streets Fine. and not be afraid of anything.
0: Do you think you can move on from it now after today's decision by the judge i think to be honest today was
4: a big point in it um i have moved on as such but i think i was just kind of waiting for the sentencing so that i can fully be happy and be done with it and not have to worry about it anymore and know that she has no control
0: over me anymore (coughs) what would you say to other children (coughs) who are maybe in a similar situation and who are experiencing abuse in the home just speak out it's scary and
4: it's not an easy thing to do, but just speak out. Um, there's help there. You know, there's always going to be somebody that will fight your corner and I've learned that in the last couple of years that people will rally together and fight your corner, even if you don't know them, even if, you know, they're your teachers, other school staff, your work colleagues, friends from school, anybody, just tell somebody and something will be done eventually. It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but it will eventually happen. Was a
0: difficult seeing her in court today?
4: Kind of, but not really. I'm so used to it because we've been living in the same town this whole time. Um, so I would see her every now and again kind of around the place or even in the shop in, in Tesco's. Um, but it, it wasn't... I wasn't scared of her for the first time in a long time. So I knew that something was going to happen. I just didn't know what. You know, at least now, I know for a fact that she's not going to go through anything that I went through. Um, and it's just, it, it's for the best.
0: Why did you decide to go public? Because you could have kept your anonymity and throughout all of this. Because
4: if I can help one person by speaking out, then that's one less person going through trauma every day and going through horrific abuse every day. And whether it's horrific, whether it's whether it's torture, just you know plain simple just beatings and stuff i i don't know how to word it yeah. um but like if it can help one person to become free as such that's how i say, i I'm, like i'm free now so like if it can just help one person then it's something
1: That is young 21-year-old Cora Desmond, I tell you, if I had a bravery award for 2020, it would be to Cora I would hand it. I mean, to hear her say uh, I was, for the first time in my life, I wasn't scared of her for the first time in a long time because having to face... The woman in court yesterday, uh, you would think, would have been extremely difficult. The cruelty inflicted was beyond belief. I mean, as Cora said, you couldn't write it. And as she was speaking, it you know, struck me. It, it sounds like some kind of a, a horrific fairy tale of the evil stepmother. And this was happening, you know, here in Yall, in our own county. Uh, in you know, in 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 recent years, this wasn't something that happened back in the dark days of the the forties and fifties, where children were seen and not heard. It's just, you know, and over the years, I've spoken with people who have recovered from domestic violence, and when you talk about people, and you know, and in some in some cases, people want to talk about the type of violence that was inflicted of them, of them. In many cases, they don't, which is a very understandable. But how many times I would have spoken to victims who say the beatings are not as bad as the psychological abuse because you will recover from the bruises and the cuts and even the break i mean to have her finger her thumb broken just to, you know to have her hand twisted back so so much that her her thumb broke uh, but you recover from all of those but it's the it's the psychological abuse that takes such a long time to recover from and, and i really hope that Cora, if she feels that she needs any help with that, and I don't know whether she is going for counselling or, or not, but I hope that, you know, that that is available to her if, if, because I think she definitely will need that type of help in order to recover, to know that none of it, absolutely none of that 10 years of abuse uh, was, was her fault And when I started to hear about this case yesterday, because it was only after it came out out of court and when Cora decided to waive her anonymity then and people were allowed to report on it, you know, it it struck me that here's a, a stepmother, Okay, it wasn't. This wasn't a child that she'd given birth to, but here it was a child she was raising. And it just struck me, you know, I've, I've got two children, one I gave birth to and uh, one I adopted. And I look at my two children and I love them equally. As And there are so many families who adopt children and who foster children or who become step parents who would never, infl- who go on to love that child as if it was their own. And I don't know what was going on in this Bridget Kennedy woman's uh, head but she's got two years in jail now to think long and hard about it but as I say well done once again to young Cora Desmond and we wish her nothing but a happy and a peaceful and a joyful life going forward and let her life now start from today. And I just really hope that she can put it all behind her and move on. Uh, A Mitchellstown listener says, Patricia, I think it's a disgrace that the stepmother didn't get 20 years imprisonment or at least one year for every year of the abuse. Because remember, that abuse went on for 10 years years. That lovely girl will never forget it. There's no justice in the world. Thank you, Patricia. And that signed a disgusted Mitchelstown listener. And someone else is asking where was the father? Did he not realise what was going on? Um, I, I don't suppose he did because I think this woman manipulated the situation and manipulated and intimidated Cora so much that Cora lied. Cora said, you know, when her thumb got broken that time because she twisted it so much until the bone snapped and then obviously she had to, she had to be taken to hospital and then she, when she went into hospital she was told and she had to tell her father and she had to tell everybody else oh I fell out in the back garden and because of all the psychological Abuse that was going on. I mean, she seemingly constantly used to tell Cora that if you try to uh, tell anyone she was, you know, the usual abuse, no one is going to believe you if you go forward. No one's going to believe uh, any uh, word about what you say. And there was, uh, you know, constant verbal threats that she would... um, Cora would be killed if she tried to tell anyone of the abuse that she was uh, enduring. So no, I don't suppose uh, the father knew anything that was going on and it must have come as a dreadful shock to him as well and to everyone who would have been dealing with Cora, all of her school friends, her school teachers and even the hospital visits and the doctor's visits that she would have had to have gone through through and and the stepmother was trying to make out she's just a clumsy uh, child. It really is shocking, as I say. Uh, thanks to Cora Desmond for speaking with Fiona yesterday and we wish her nothing but love and luck uh, going forward. 1850 333 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103. We've got a Twitter poll going on at C103 Cork and this is to do with the Teachers Union the TUI, the Teachers Union of Ireland who are calling on the Minister for Education to close schools early for Christmas. The Teachers Union are calling for a morale boost uh, for schools after what they have gone through this year because of COVID-19. The TUI say classes should finish on Friday, December the 18th rather than the following Tuesday, December the 27th. Second, they're saying students and teachers then could restrict their movements before meeting vulnerable relatives the following week for Christmas and all of that. So we're asking that question this morning. Should the school's close early. Uh, do you think it would be, it's good? They've had a tough year, the teachers, and they've worked really hard and it would be a good morale boost for them to give them an extra few days off at uh, Christmas. You can go to our Twitter poll at C103 Cork if you want to vote on that or if you want to share your your comments with us uh, on it. I'll get in in a little bit more detail later on in the programme as to exactly where what the teacher's thinking is in all of this. But the one thing I did notice when I heard this uh, earlier and I was reading what the TUI has said and the INTO and the ASTI as well, what they're not calling for it. They have a view on it as well. I didn't in any way see with the teachers saying give us extra time off for Christmas and we'll make up for it later on in the year like maybe extend the summer holidays. They're not looking for anything like that. They're looking for extra holidays uh, because of the stress that they have been under since schools reopened in September. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850 333103 Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 eight six-2103-103. And we're getting reports in including one for Frank in Passage West. Thank you Frank that there has been a collision in the Passage West area near the soccer club this morning. Now I'm told emergency services are at the scene and to please approach that area with a caution. That's a collision in Passage West near the soccer club. Now an online educational programme on littering and dog fouling is to be considered by the Cork County Council Environmental Department. This is following calls from councillors to address the issue to discuss his concerns I'm joined by Fianna Falk Councillor Seamus McGrath. Good morning to you, Seamus.
5: Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me you're,
1: you're welcome. Now, you raised the issue of enforcement. Is there simply not enough fines issued for the amount of littering that's taking place in our beautiful county?
5: Yeah, so I suppose, Patricia, look, we all know littering and dog fouling is a pervasive problem around the county. Um, it's widespread, and despite all the, the awareness campaigns and, you know, the various promotions of good practice and good behaviour, the message isn't getting through to the extent that it should be. And um, enforcement has to be part of the response from the council and it has to be a a substantial part of the response, in my opinion. Um, And unfortunately it is, I suppose it is under-resourced in terms of the level of activity that we would require. And I raised a particular issue, I suppose, of -of out-of-hours enforcement. So very, very... I suppose, to to a large extent, the enforcement system is a nine-to-five, Monday-to-Friday system, which is is not ideal because I just gave the example during the summer there. We had several examples where we had good weather during weekends or public places were punctured to service. Um, And and that's ongoing, but I think it is very important that enforcement has to be stepped up. Um, It isn't simply a Monday-to-Friday problem, so the enforcement side of it has to respond. To, to address the issues outside of that time as well.
1: And then I know you're saying it's it's under-resourced and a lot of this does go back uh, to money and, and to manpower, but yet if there's a lot of littering going on, in many cases it's the council then has to go out and clean it up.
5: Absolutely. I mean, there is a huge cost involved um, at the various area offices around the county, um, cleaning, cleaning litter, street cleaning. So in towns and villages there's regular street cleaning regimes. And, um, but equally then you have, um, you have units that are mobile going around cleaning the black bags that are dumped on the side of the road, uh, the mattresses that are dumped on the side of the road, coaches, et cetera. So there is a huge amount of resources spent every year. And I that's, this isn't just a car problem. We see this as a nationwide problem, but each local authority has a responsibility to try and do their best in their given area. And I suppose we, we feel, uh, and I'm not alone here, we as councillors feel enforcement has to be improved. But I know you introduced the, the, the topic there in relation to the awareness campaign as well That that is hoped that they're going to roll out an awareness campaign or schools, an online awareness campaign, because obviously we need to adapt how we do things in the current climate. But um, certainly trying to get the message across to school children has to be a very, very um, important part of this because we know we know how that has worked in other examples in, in, in life and school children by themselves, can act as an enforcement as well Absolutely
1: they take, they take the message home I mean it certainly worked with the with, I remember back when we uh, had very bad habits in this country of not wearing safety belts and do you remember they, there was that campaign by what's the old safety authority to get the children on board to make sure that they had their safety belts on but to get them to nag almost the parents to make sure they were wearing, wearing theirs and that worked
5: yeah, and I'll be honest I, I I have two small children myself, and if we're walking along, you'll hear them saying, oh, look, rubbish, you know. And Great. They'll say it out loud, so if someone throws something in front of them, they, they say it without fear or favour, and uh, it's 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 so important to get the message in, in to everybody at a young age, and as you say, they will bring that message home. They do, they do. They, they, do. they will spread that with parents, with relatives, with friends. And, as, and they, say it, they say it without even thinking if they're out in a boat in a public park or something like that. And that's so important to bring about a societal change, because we have to bring about a societal change here. And look, I think the vast majority of people are responsible and compliant, but if, if you only have a very small percentage, if you have a very busy beach on a weekend, and if it's only a small percentage are irresponsible, it just tarnishes it for everybody, and it takes yeah. away the enjoyment from an immunity. If you're seeing rubbish around the place, if you're seeing plastic bottles, broken glass bottles, etc., it's, it's just something that is that's not acceptable in the society we live in now. And I suppose from the dog fouling point of view, the strong message I wanted to get across is that there's a serious public health issue attached to that. I mean, that isn't just a nuisance. That's a public health mm-hmm. issue. If you bring dog fouling in on a, on a child's shoe or something like that, you know, it potentially carries disease and all sorts of issues can arise. And And I think the messaging has to become a little bit harder on that you know, it's all very fine to have awareness campaigns. But I think we have to drill home the public health aspect of that as well. Um, And I think that hasn't been to the fore in in the awareness campaigns previously. And it is something that I believe has to be has to be pushed because it is a serious public health issue as well as just an absolute
1: nuisance. Yeah, and you know, we, I'm always singing the praises, uh, Seamus, of our civic immunity sites because I think they're absolutely fantastic and I think the staff that work there are brilliant and they're, they, you know, they're more than uh, helpful. And only yesterday we had somebody ring in saying I can't remember part of the county they were in now but they, somebody had dumped a mattress at a bottle bank somewhere. Yeah. And it frustrates me because we have these wonderful civic immunity sites. Somebody goes to the bother of putting a mattress or a sofa or some other, you know, white goods, some other large piece of furniture, you have to load it onto into a van or a trailer or something and then bring it to some place to dump it. Could you not just go the extra mile or two and bring it to your civic community site?
5: Yeah, I mean, Patricia, that's that's an issue we see very often. You know, people, as you say, go to the effort of loading up a particular um, piece of waste or, or or whatever, and they bring it to either a bring site or a civic community site. Sorry, they bring it to a bring site. Um, you know, so there's a distinction obviously between civic community sites and the bring sites. The bring sites are your bottle banks and so on that are in various villages and towns uh, that are unmanned essentially, but it, it requires people to act responsibly and dispose of their their waste correctly. But well, very often, you're right, you see people just leaving a mattress at the bottom of a, a bottle bank, for example, which is dumping. That is dumping because that has to be picked up by the council um, and, and taken away. It, it isn't part of the service. The services, the banks that are there, the, the closed banks, the bottle banks, the recycling, cardboard banks or whatever, and if they're full, they shouldn't be leaving stuff on the ground or the base of them either because that, again, is dumping. That has to be picked up, that has to be tidied up, and that is a much service. Is there for. Um, so, like, and, and to be fair, the council have enforce that issue and I know it's difficult for people if they if they leave a particular piece of waste at the bottom of a brink slide or something like that, um they, they could well end up being fine because the council has enforced that because it is, it is a drain on the resources in terms of making sure that these brink sites are operated properly.
1: Yeah, because um, somebody has just sent in, Noreen has just sent in a picture saying, uh, Hi Patricia, um, you should show this picture to Councillor Seamus McGrath. This was the scene in Crookstown last week. The bins were full. Uh, bottles were dumped in front of them. The bins have been emptied since, but the rubbish still remains. Shame on whoever done that. It's absolutely disgraceful. And it's a picture of overflowing. The bins were full and people that couldn't have all come from one person and that's what happens. Somebody leaves the bag or a bottle, a box of bottles and then somebody else says, oh, it must be okay to leave it there and then on and on it goes.
5: Yeah, yeah. And as I said, look, it is a significant problem and those bring sites are collected, you know, there are crews in place to come along, lift those, lift those bottle banks, etc., into a truck. I mean, they don't have the ability to take away a mattress, they don't have the ability to go along picking up overflowing items that are left on the ground. That isn't their job, they're not contracted to do that um, and it simply doesn't look good anyway. It is, I mean, it's, it's very untidy, it's unsightly to see that kind of thing around the bring site um, and I mean there, there are so many bring sites around the county and the council have provided a great service in providing these bring sites in towns and villages in, in certain public car parks and public places and so on, but it does require them to be used correctly and um, I suppose it's just the drain and the resources as well as the unsightly nature of, of the misuse that, that the issue is.
1: Yeah. Lister says, Hi, uh, listening to your chat on littering and dog fouling, I have a business in a village in West Cork and without doubt I have to clean up dog waste from the footpath every single morning. It's a busy road so the dogs aren't left off the leads. The people are actually walking their dogs, allowing the dogs to foul and then walking away, leaving it for somebody else to clean up. It is disgusting and it is Absolutely 100% uh, disgusting. Pat says if every dog could be chipped and DNA tested, then when dog fouling is found on the street, you can do a DNA test and find out who owns uh, the dogs. Pat believes they're doing that in England and in other parts. And isn't that a big problem with the dog fouling? You you actually have to catch the dog in the act with the owner to say your dog has just messed up and you haven't cleaned up It's that's hard for the little warden isn't it?
5: It is its is difficult for the dog warden to the level of proof I suppose is high and um, you know when they might go into an estate and they might be told anecdotally look it's the dog belongs to that house or whatever they do have I mean they have to provide evidence and if it's challenged down the road in court they, they, there is a level of proof involved and that can be difficult um, and, and I suppose that is something that has to be looked at in terms of in terms of the level of proof but um There's a resource issue too, Patricia, and I go back to that. I mean, we just simply don't have enough litter wardens, dog wardens, um, patrolling the the county to to address these issues. And they're stretched. Those that are there are stretched. They're covering large areas. Um, And that's something we have tried to address over time. And we have a budget coming up in Cork County Council now. It's going to be a difficult budget to try and address that issue because, obviously, the context we're in with the global pandemic and, and the impact that it's had on resources. But... Um, But I do think we have to try and at least maintain our resources and, if possible, take a step in the right direction to try and improve resources um, so that we can step up the enforcement as well as the awareness campaigns and the the online campaign with schools and so on. It has to be a multi-pronged approach here. There's no simple answer to this, but it is just about constantly getting the message out there um, that we we all need to behave responsible. Um, And while I think the majority of people do, unfortunately, there is, still a percentage out there that are not behaving responsibly and we're all suffering the consequences and, and that's something we just have to try and change
1: Okay, listen, it's all about money it costs 20 euro to take a mattress to a civic community site, does it cost 20 euro?
5: It probably does, I, I, I wouldn't be 100% on the actual figure because there are a number of different charges in place for different items i mean, as you know the gate fee is 3 euro to get in and I think there's a black bag charged in and then there are charges for things like small trailers, mattresses and so on, it's all on the council website actually, it's all laid mm. out there. Um, so there is a charge involved but I mean there is also a cost to the council in disposing of items and um, it's, to be honest Patricia it's part of the discussion we're having in the run up to the budget specific community sites are costing the council a huge sum of money every year um, while people think there may be an income from the civic community sites, it's actually a drain on council resources. But at the same time, it's a service we need to provide.
1: A vital um, service.
5: A, a vital service, and there's no question about the service being cut back or anything like that. But there is there is, there there is an issue there in terms of the, the funding and, and, and the budget for it, because it's costing the council several million a year in terms of the difference between income and um, and expenditure on the running of the civic community sites.
1: Uh, um, the and the other one then that a, a couple of people are, are bringing in about could the council not provide more bins, especially in parks and in scenic areas, than we spoke about uh, the beaches during the summer months? But I'm I'm right in saying a lot of those bins are open to abuse, aren't they? as it's, it's not the reason so many of them have been removed.
5: Yeah, they, they can be open to abuse. Look, I suppose that's I think that's a case by case issue, really. I mean, certainly bins are important in certain locations. But bins also require maintenance; they have to be emptied regularly. And if if the council is struggling to do that, then a bin can be more of a nuisance than a, than a solution. And um, because if bins are overflowing and and you know their birds get at them, animals get at them, etc., it can become a serious issue. And um, but but certainly bins are part of the solution, and and appropriately placed bins and located bins. And um, but I do think, and I know it's it's part of the message from the council that people do have to learn to to Bring their waste with them. I mean, if you go to a beach, you're generally travelling by car. You're de- you're generally bringing a bag. Which why why do you need to leave your waste somewhere? You know, bring the waste back. with yeah. you uh, otherwise, you're expecting somebody else to pick up the waste. Yeah, there. the
1: the beaches in the summer it it is is something that gets me really angry. Because as you say, you arrive down with all your items in some kind of a bag, a picnic box, whatever, and to watch people walk away leaving the rubbish behind them just really really get, uh, annoys me. Um, Councillor Paul Hayes has just contacted us from West Cork, he said he's proposed at a council meeting that dog wardens could stop somebody out walking their dog to make sure that they have the poo bags with them because if you don't have the bags with you to clean up after your dog it surely is an indication that you've no intention of cleaning up if your dog uh, does his business and uh, Paul says that it happens in other areas uh, like France so he says it is uh, doable and I've certainly, it's it, it operates in Australia, and when I was in Australia, my sister-in-law has a dog, and we'd have the dog out for a walk uh, every day. And I was with her when when she was stopped by a dog warden to make sure that she had had not just one bag with her. She had to prove that she had enough bags with her, and if she didn't, you're 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 fined. I mean, it's it's something worth looking at, isn't it? It's
5: it, it look, I suppose the whole area of enforcement is something that needs to be beefed up, and certainly I think the presence of dog wardens on our streets and our towns and villages and so on is important. and I don't think many of your listeners would, would agree that the dog warden currently has a presence, I think most would say there isn't really much of a presence, and, and that's the point we're making. Um, but putting and, and looking at the level of proof, looking at the powers dog wardens have is important, and certainly what councillor Paul Hayes suggested there is something that needs to be looked at for sure. But I suppose we we do need to be careful too in terms of not overdoing it in terms of a police state and people have you know, people have rights and so on like that. So so you need to balance that and I'm not sure if that's within the gift of the local authority itself or would there need to be a national change in legislation for something like that. But but look, all these options need to be on the table. We need to look at them. But I think a presence of wardens is probably the the thing I would argue is more is more important because I think that that not only acts as an enforcement, but it also acts in terms of raising awareness and getting the messaging out there that, look, as a local authority, we are serious about this. We mean business. It's not acceptable to just go out with your dog and leave and leave a dog falling on a public pavement or whatever. Um, and I just think the presence and the constant visual image of wardens being present is is what really is probably the more important
1: aspect, in my, in my view. Yeah, OK. And actually, the double mattress at a civic community site, it's €20. Euro. I don't think that's bad, to be very honest. And I, I know people are on limited budgets and all of that, but pay the €20. Euro. Please do not dump it somewhere else for somebody else then to have to go out and pick it up. And talking of somebody else having to go out and pick it, pick it up, while we're on littering and dog fouling, uh, Seamus, the volunteers at the local Tidy Towns groups are just the most amazing people.
5: 100% Patricia and I suppose when I was mayor of the county a couple of years ago I always made the point that if if our volunteers if our community groups if tidy towns groups and so on suddenly went on strike in in the morning we would all see the difference straight away you know we would we would see the impact that they have the positive impact that they have and we, if that was removed we would see the consequences straight away our towns our villages are cleaned regularly by volunteers um, and the council I think has to always acknowledge that that while the council have people, employees, etc., doing that work, it is complemented very, very significantly by volunteers um, and they do tremendous work across the county. And and I suppose I've often made the point that we over-rely on them, to be perfectly honest, that as as a local authority, we need to probably do more to support uh, local groups and volunteers. um, But 100%, it has to always be acknowledged. The voluntary efforts, the yeah, town, yeah,
1: absolutely, and, oh,
5: and, and, and they keep this issue at bay if you like because they're out there cleaning. They up do,
1: vegetables. they do. Well, as yeah. I always say, how much worse would it be if we didn't have the tidy towns, uh, people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they are incredible. You
5: went down the town or village on a Sunday morning, and if it hadn't been cleaned up, you know, by volunteers, then you would really see the extent of this issue.
1: Yeah. Okay, Seamus, uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. Thank Good morning you. to you. Bye bye Councillor Seamus McGrath. One of those issues we always get inundated uh, with calls and texts whenever we bring up the issue of littering and uh, dog fouling. Uh, Trish every time I hear uh, anybody talk about littering I always remember a person left a dirty nappy right next to me. I picked it up and I landed it on the person's uh, head. I was so proud of myself and others cheered at the time. You're also, can I say very brave. And when we're talking about dog fouling somebody says Trish while you're on the to- topic of Dog fouling. Can anything be done about cats fouling? Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And I can see there's a lot of commentary coming in wanting to uh, support young uh, Corey Desmond uh, we heard from speaking outside the court uh, yesterday encouraging other victims of domestic abuse to speak up after her very cruel stepmother was found guilty of uh, abuse and uh, uh, got a two year sentence. lot of commentary in some of it by the way I can't read out uh, but people just wanting to wish as was the main message is that people really just want to wish Wish Cora all of the very best and hoping in some way that she could get some kind of closure from yesterday and that she'd be able to put it behind her and that she'd be able to pick up the pieces of her life and you know and try as best she can forget about it. But a number of people saying that she really should go for counselling, particularly for the psychological abuse. And there was a lovely text in saying, oh, What a cruel stepmother, but what a brave, brave young lady. I minded a little girl when her parents worked. She's now in her twenties. She's like a daughter to me, always in touch, and she's still regularly visits me. I love her as much as I do my own children, yeah. I think the majority of us wouldn't even contemplate how you could be that cruel and vicious and vindictive to a little girl. remember the abuse started when she was just six and carried on up until she was the age of 16 and it sounded like she was her slave almost at one stage having to clean and uh, clean and the house and clean up after her and her children really, really, very, very difficult. Uh, ten years for Cora, but please, God to say it's now behind her. Okay, I need to take another break because we have news at eleven on the way. I can see some commentary coming in about the teachers. This is the teachers' unions. So I'll get into a little bit more detail of what's the, what's the teachers' unions thinking of this. They're calling. They're initially saying it will be a morale boost for them to have slightly longer Christmas holidays because they said you know they've had a very stressful time since schools re opened in September. We're looking for your thoughts on that. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest
4: hits.
3: C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now,
1: on the Teachers Union. This is the Teachers Union of Ireland. They are looking for early Christmas break to extend the Christmas holiday by a couple of days. They say it would allow more time for staff and students to restrict their movements before then meeting up with elderly and vulnerable relatives for the festive gathering. That's one of the reasons why they think that they should close up on the Friday the 18th rather than the 22nd. Now they have to say that the Education Minister uh, Norma Foley yesterday when this was put to her, she ruled out finishing the school term uh, early uh, unless she said public health advice changes. But as but now she's saying no. She was speaking at the Rocktas Education, uh, 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 Education Committee yesterday and she says it was, I quote, not our intention at this stage at all to extend the Christmas break. She also said it's important that schools finish out the term. But the Teachers Union of Ireland later said serious consideration should be given to the proposal of more time off and extend the Christmas holidays. Now, it is only one of three teacher unions to issue a formal call for an early holiday, although it has been the subject of discussion with the primary schools, the Irish National Teachers' Organisation, and also the other secondary school teaching union, the ASDI, but they have slightly differing views on it. The Teachers' Union of Ireland, their General Secretary, is quoted in all the papers today, a gentleman by the name of Michael Gillespie. He said recent months have been unprecedentedly difficult and draining for school communities. He said thanks to the remarkable work of staff, schools have remained open through all levels of restrictions including level 5. But can I say to Mr Gillespie, So have other businesses and so have other hospitals and uh, all other essential workers, people who went to work retail, people working in uh, shops. They've all managed to remain open and they didn't close at all, bearing in mind that schools did close for a long period of time from the middle of March right through to September. Anyway, back to Mr mcgillespie He says stress and anxiety levels remained extremely high. As a result of a range of worries and concerns, he said that weren't imaginable this time last year. Can I stop down again and say the same for all people who've been going to work during this pandemic? He says this has been an extraordinary intensive working period and staff and students are far more fatigued than they would be during a normal school year. Again, I say it has been the same for all Workers, Anyone who has worked right throughout this pandemic will say it has been extraordinarily intensive working period and that everybody is feeling tired. He says in this, reg- in this regard, the short extension of the Christmas closure period that we are advocating would be a significant and much needed boost to the morale for all concerned. But he doesn't say give us extra time off for Christmas and we'll pay it back in June. He, he's just saying that they want extra Holidays, he said, it could also prove to be a stitch in time measure and help prevent longer absences due to burnout and exhaustion later on in the school year. Now, the other unions, the ASTI and Pickett, she says they there was arguments on both sides for a proposal to close school early. She said the matter had been raised within the principals and deputy principal committee of the ASDI. She said they've been working incessantly since early last year to get schools ready to be open. She was speaking on News Talk yesterday and Anne Pickett of the ASDI said the main argument in favour of the idea was a medical argument and she's also gone on about the grandparents and parents around the country who will want to see their extended family over christmas and she's saying you know if the children finish early it would she feels that those people could could be uh, safer they won't be gathering with hundreds of others in a closed setting where they might develop covid-19 and won't have the symptoms and she said you know it gives a longer break between the schools ending and when christmas day uh, would actually uh, happen but she cautioned that it needed widespread consultation with parents. I'm glad to hear parents are getting mentioned and also the student bodies. And she also says, what about the class of 2021? Uh, she, wanted, she would want to make sure that they're not going to be disadvantaged by that. The Leaving Cert class, who have already lost out in a chunk of fifth year and are trying to make up for that. So they certainly don't want to have any day less in the classroom uh, that they that they're entitled to. And I know the Labour Education spokesperson, Adon O'Regan, he also raised the issue of the early closure with Minister Foley at the Oireachtas Education Committee. He pointed to the huge amount of work that has been and was being done in schools and said an argument may be made for an earlier break. The minister acknowledged the work that was being done by all involved but said she was also very mindful that the calendar has been agreed with parents and the students were much better served by having them inside in the classroom. She said she was very mindful of the importance of children being in school. She says that is something we've articulated every step of the way, even at Level 5, to ensure schools remain open. She says it's important that schools would finish out the term in that respect. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this, because now I can see already coming in from uh, people, there's nobody really so far, now I'll have to look through, there's a lot of texts coming in as well, The ones that I've certainly looked over, nobody seems to be in favour of what the TUI are recommending. Uh, And what a stressful time it has been for teachers and for students. And they're all very fatigued and they need to have extra time off. I can't find anybody in favour of it. Let me give you some of the comments that have come in. Siobhan says... The teacher's behaviour disgusts me at the moment. I work in a preschool and I had to quarantine last month as one of the children tested positive for COVID 19. Do I expect extra time off because of this stressful situation? Of course I don't. There are doctors and nurses who have sadly died as a direct result of their job and going out to work every day. When this is over there will be people who will deserve extra time off but believe me, says Siobhan it won't be uh, teachers. Hi Patricia, the teachers in Ireland should be ashamed of themselves for even contemplating looking for extra time off at uh, Christmas. They haven't worked since the middle of March right through to September and now they want extra holidays and don't dare have any of them say oh should they were working online because it was only a minority of teachers who really worked online I know what I'm talking about I have two in secondary school and they barely got a class or two a week each it was a joke and then what was the excuse was used bad uh, internet which was not not true says this uh, mother. Uh, Did any of them offer to give back some of their wages? If teachers want extra holidays, surely they can't be expected to be paid for it. But with hard-working taxpayers' money who will be working right up to and including Christmas Eve, and that's from Rob, who says the teachers in no other country carry on like the teachers do in this country. If anything, they should offer to come back early. After the Christmas holidays, they should be offering to reopen the schools of the 2nd of January to make up for all of the lost school days early in the year good luck with that one Rob is all I will say to you. Okay and then on our uh, text um, what's this one hi from Mary. Hi Patricia just to comment on the closing of the schools early for Christmas holidays. I'm not by any means a scrooge a humbug as I know young people have had a hard time during lockdown Lockdown, but my fear would be about the current Leaving Cert class, the Leaving Cert class of 2021. They've already lost out on a lot of of schoolwork that they would have a lot of their coursework that would have been done in fifth year they need to stay on top of their work so I would say for them Alone, every day counts. And that comes in from Mary. Well, Norma Foley, the education minister, would agree with you on that, Mary, because that was one of the points she raised yesterday. She particularly picked up on the class of uh, 2021. Jill says, I think it's a disgrace that teachers want more holidays. They had all the summer off and then the schools were closed from March right through to the summer holidays and they still got paid for all of that. And now they want even more time off. It's working parents who would end up feeling the brunt of this. They should suck it up And teach like they are paid to do, says Jill, who has absolutely no sympathy for teachers. But Jill raises a good point. Working parents, I imagine when they woke up this morning and heard what the TUI are looking for. I'm sure there are working parents suddenly looking at the calendar and saying, if the schools close early, who am I going to get to mind mind the children? And the nightmare and all of that 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 will bring in. So yeah, it's a good point and it's one that I haven't seen anybody else speak about. What about working uh, parents? And Jimmy on Twitter at C103Cork says just like they restricted their movements this is the young people, just like they restricted their movements over the midterm break which did not lead to a stagnation or rise in cases in November. Actually wait a sec, says Jim dot 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 dot. Because of course now we know there has been an increase in cases over the last couple of of days, the last six to seven days and they're now pinpointing that they would have been seeded, as they when they talk about COVID-19 cases, the end of October into the start of November and they're now saying that some of those cases which we're now hearing about and which we now heard about over the last week or so, uh, could have come from that midterm or around Halloween. Now, they're not just saying the schools but they're saying people may have partied and may have decided to celebrate Halloween a little bit too much and we're paying the price for it now 1850-333-103 that's just some of the calls and comments that are coming in about the suggestion from the TUI that schools should close early to give a morale boost to students who are very very fatigued uh, because they've had an extraordinary intensive working period since uh, September but maybe some of the parents you know looking at their their children maybe they feel their children because the teachers are saying it's not just the the staff it's the students as well are feeling fatigued would you like your sons or daughters to have extra time off in the run up uh, to Christmas your thoughts are welcomed on that 1850 333103 Pat Infamoy is on about the Irish Medical Organisation and I think you're wrong on that it's the Irish Nurses Organisation I think you're referring to are always very good to give out the figures of how many people are on trolleys That's the, it's the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation that do that uh, within hospitals but could we please have figures on the number of nurses and doctors who have received their flu jab- this year Pat says every year the numbers have a tendency to be lower than what they are out in the general community some nurses for whatever reason and doctors decide not to get the flu jab Pat is wondering what are the figures like for this year I mean I don't know if we can check with the Irish Nurses Organisation the INMO and Midwives to see what they have stats on the number of their, their members who have had their flu jab this year we'll see if we can get figures for you Pat and the reason Pat is asking is he is already starting to think about a COVID vaccine and he's wondering will we know the numbers of nurses and doctors that will get the COVID vaccine. Well they certainly will be the first. The healthcare workers and those in nursing homes and residential units will be the very first uh, to get it. So how many? I imagine there will be a, a huge rush to get it but we'll have to wait and see. 1850 333 103 Our lines are open. C103 Jobs Ground uh, worker with shuttering experience is required. That's for the West Cork area. While a receptionist is required for a veterinary practice that's in North Cork. A construction worker is wanted to help a stone mason and other trades. That's in the Ballyhoura area, and Alps Alpine. That's in Mill Street. They are recruiting general operatives. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C one oh three. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. 103. With COVID-19 positive cases unfortunately on the rise again in this country, a call has been made to the HSC to set up a permanent or even a temporary COVID-19 test centre in the North Cork area. Leading the call, Labour Deputy for Cork East, uh, Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good
3: morning, Patricia. Now,
1: Sean, there was a test centre at the race course in Mallow. Did the HSE close it when the numbers started to fall during the summer months? Was that what happened? They
3: they did and we don't know the exact justification for the closure of that, uh, no more than we know the exact justification for the closure of the second centre within Cork City on the Douglas Road. Uh, It appears now that we're now down to one centre uh, in Cork City through which everything flows. That's my understanding but I'm open to correction on that but we do know that the Racecourse Center and the Douglas Road Center are definitely closed uh, The reason i'm raising this issue is because I think you need to create an atmosphere and an infrastructure so that where people get an appointment for a test that it's as, it's as seamless a process for them so that they can get to their test center you know w- without any hassle if you will uh, and I worry for people who uh, not necessarily for people who live in towns like Mitchestown Town or, or, or Mallow or from why because of its proximity to Cork, but maybe if you take the in-between places like the Rock Chapels, the Ballyhoolies or the, you know, the Castletown Roaches, those types of areas where it's a bit more challenging perhaps to get to Cork where you're not served by public transport. And we've seen evidence where, you know, 15% of people who get appointments for tests nationally, that's on foot of a PQ that I put down, who receive an appointment, 15% of people don't show up. And we're extrapolating from that just based on anecdotal evidence that people quite literally do not have the means to be able to uh, get to a test centre in a more centralised location. Uh, and, And I think what we need to do now is to make it as seamless as possible so that you take out that 15% of no shows and you 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 try to localize the service as much as possible
1: and they would be I mean 15% those people would have either been identified as having symptoms or they're identified as a close contact so it's right. worrying uh, because a percentage of that 15% will definitely be covid-19 possible positive but won't be won't won't be aware of it and therefore won't do everything that they're meant to do
3: that's right now we don't have exact research on the extrapolation of the 15% nationally. But I think it's fair to assume and your average constituency office is always a good barometer for what's happening in the country. Every TD or senator in the country will always kind of have a feel for what's going on in the ground. And we do know that people quite literally did not have the means to be able to turn up to a more centralised location uh, for a test. Now, if if there's only 1% of that 15% who can't show because of Uh, you know, inability to get to a location where the testing is is being carried out, then what you have to do is to try and bring the the systems as close as possible to the the citizen. And my understanding is that the Mallow uh, Centre was working quite well. We don't understand the logic for the closure of the Douglas Road uh, Centre. And if you take the cohort of people that are being tested, it's everybody from age you know, one years of age right up to 99 years of age. You know, it's it's the whole... It's the one in Blackpool, isn't it? That's that's my understanding. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: I've I've seen photographs of queues of cars outside. And I'm one of the the people who luckily got tested when the race course was still up and running. It was back in June. I presented with flu-like symptoms and thankfully it wasn't COVID-19, but I had to still go uh, for the test. And I have to say, it was the easiest And such an efficient system. I got a time. I drove out there. I drove straight into the bay. I was tested and my car rolled out and I could see behind me as I was pulling out. The next one was pulling in. It was such an easy way to get the test.
3: And and that's where it, it need, we need to restore that type of service for people. Because you know yourself, if you're even if you're going to a, a, a GP for a, a routine examination where you have a presentation of symptoms for any kinds of illness, there's, a, there's always a level of anxiety mm. there. No matter who you are or how fit you are, you're always, you're, your stress levels go up. And I think that the best thing to do here would be to try and get the HSC to start devolving that service again because it was working quite well and the evidence is there where people Went in and we're out again, and and once you had your time, your appointed time, you know, you weren't waiting. Well, I think wait. it was. Tw- I
1: think from door to door, I think it, it was twenty minutes. I remember being because because uh, I'd expected that there would be you know delays or there would be queues or whatever, but it, it was it was twenty minutes. And I remember the same day I was feeling utterly miserable, so I had to get out of bed to go for this test anyway. And I remember thinking, "Thank God we have a test centre in Malo," because when you're not feeling well, the last thing you want is is a car journey.
3: Well, and that's. Point, and that's why I'm talking about those harder to reach places. Like, you know, I, ideally, you know, if you're living in the town of Mallor or the town of Fromoy or town of Mitch's you know, and if if some, you know, you can get to Cork City quite easily. But, but still, you don't want for people to have to negotiate. Like for a lot of people negotiating city traffic is a challenge in of itself. You want it to be as seamless as possible. You want to take the stress and the anxiety out of the process because it is deeply stressful, and you want it to be uh, you know as i say as seamless as possible and so we're calling on the HSE to, to to roll back on the decision to close centers like Mallow and if you go further afield to west cork where i wouldn't i wouldn't be completely okay with the west cork scenario but i'm not I, i'm not aware that there is any There may be facilities there, but but centralising in Cork is not an ideal location. Uh, You know, it's ideal for a city population and for towns in close proximity to the city, but it's not ideal for those people who live in the harder-to-reach places, which from a mileage or kilometres point of view may not be that much further from those towns that I spoke of, but it's just uh, that bit harder for people to get there. Okay, I'm
1: told uh, Ballygurteen is the test centre in West Cork that is near Dromammy, but it is the only one. When you think of all of the people down on the various peninsulas, would all have to travel there to uh, Dromammy. Any response from the HSC on this?
3: No, we expect a, a response uh, today. Uh, normally, what we do is we put on the parliamentary. Uh, question to the minister and then the HSE will respond to us so I'm anticipating the response uh, today or tomorrow latest so we'll have an update on that anyway which we'll post to our own social media. Uh, I think think these are the issues I think that affect people on the ground, they're the issues that exercise people and I, I think we have to continue to push for services to be devolved I think you know, at the most local level. It um, is well, just make, and it, make it
1: as easy as possible. Somebody said it's very difficult for older people uh, who don't have a clue about city driving to have to go to Cork or to Tralee, depending on what part of the county they're in, to get a COVID test. I hope they listen to Sean Sherlock as a texter.
3: That's it. And like you mentioned the Ballygurtean site there in West Cork, like, you know, and you mentioned the peninsulas, you know, it, it's it's just literally com- applying common sense, applying common sense in a way that ensures that people You take the stress out of it or you take an element of stress out of it because it's localised and they're back home, as you say, in 20 minutes or 25 minutes.
1: Make it easy for people. Make it easy for people. Just on staying on health, but just on a slightly different uh, topic, still health related. You have concerns about the Formoy South Dock service, which obviously covers quite a wide area.
3: I, I do because uh, I'm in receipt of correspondence uh, between GPs, some GPs in the Frome area and South Dock, where it would appear that South Dock is now applying a criteria uh, for GPs, uh, whereby if you're over the age of 60 as a GP or if you're pregnant uh, that you will not be able to operate an out-of-hours service. That's my understanding. And that has a, a massive impact for the for my service, such that uh, it would affect uh, one third of the GPs there. Uh, in other words, those GPs would not be able to participate in the out of our service. And you'll remember some months ago that they took out that service during uh, the first lockdown and we, we fought back against that and that service was, was restored. It now would appear on the face of it, Patricia, that there is an attempt now to diminish or reduce that service uh, yet again thankfully the GPs who are affected by this are pushing back against South dock as well but i think it's important to highlight this as a public issue because uh, i think it's important for people in the formy Mitchestone and surrounding areas uh, to to start you know beating the drum again about this because we can't countenance a situation where people in in those areas are without a service again because it goes back to the whole issue of people having to go to either mallow or cork again for out of hours. And you know,
1: if you're calling a GP out of hours, it means you're really unwell. I mean, somebody who's not not feeling well will say, I'll give the doctor a buzz in the morning. But to call a doctor out of hours, you're really, somebody in the household is really not well.
3: Well, I think there's evidence as well to prove that, that Irish people are extremely reluctant to phone a doctor or to call an ambulance Uh, sometimes to their own personal detriment. And I I think people use the service, uh, you know, judiciously, I would say, you know, it's always as a last resort if people can. And a lot of it is very well triaged over the phone anyway through the nursing service and uh, medical staff service there anyway. I have first-hand experience of that myself with my own family. So, you know, but if you take the service out, that's, you know, again, has massive potential consequences for people living in these areas. And it seems very arbitrary on the face of it to say that if you're over the age of 60 as a GP, you can't operate out of hours, or if you're pregnant. The import there is that, arguably, it's ageist and possibly sexist. But we have to have a proper response from South Dock, and from the HSE in regard to this matter, and that's, again, something that we're waiting, uh, waiting a response on, uh, because the taxpayer partly funds the South Dock service, and the, so therefore the South Dock service must be accountable to the taxpayer, uh, and if it's taking internal decisions that has an adverse effect on a, a number of their own GPs in what could be argued to be a discriminatory fashion, you know, subject to a further examination of that uh, then if it affects people's service, you know citizens' service then that's something that we have to question and fight back against again.
1: Okay, alright and just a listener wants to know your view on on this. We've been discussing uh, this morning the call from one of the teachers unions, the uh, TUI looking for a morale boosting early Christmas break for schools because teachers are have put in, you know I've worked really hard since uh, September and the Teachers Union of Ireland saying that they're uh, fatigued and they're exhausted and they need a longer Christmas break. Now I have to say the majority of our listeners today not happy with the teachers at all and making the point that a lot of other people have gone out to work since this pandemic began and are feeling fatigued and exhausted and there isn't hope of getting extra time off at Christmas. But Janice in Mitchistan says would you ever ask Sean what he thinks of the teachers looking to finish early for Christmas? Have you a view on it, sir?
3: I, I, I'll give you the the political answer, and that is that I think everybody is working a lot harder now and in more challenging circumstances. And I think uh, the risk profile to teachers uh, is arguably higher than, say, for instance, people who are working from home. But I've, I've noticed a significant, we have evidence of this from the National Women's Council and from the Central Statistics Office, that, you know, the stress levels amongst people during COVID has increased because of the challenges of COVID and managing households. I would say that everybody has a statutory in entitlement uh, to their holidays. Uh, and I think you, you apply the law in, in this instance. I think you have to strike a balance between recognising the fact that teachers are in those stressful scenarios, but also recognising as well that an, an additional uh, Two days of leave might have a major knock-on effect for somebody who is working uh, within, uh, you know, the private or public sector in terms of, say, things like childcare, or you know, uh, in, in terms of, w- would that have a knock-on effect for somebody who's working in the, in the public or private sector in terms of people having to take a day or two off of force majeure leave to account for the fact that the schools would be closed? So I would say, on balance, I suppose. I, I, I would rather that they they, they stick to whatever uh, protocols they have in place, you know, as per the school enrollment policy or the school policies around holidays. There's a certain amount of days every year that are allocated, uh, and, and that I would prefer that they would stick to that. That's yeah, my personal The, the, the
1: timetables were set at the start of the year. Okay, Sean, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Labour, Doll Deputy for Cork East Sean Sherlock and Councillor Declan Hurley says, just listening to your chat with uh, Sean Sherlock, you made reference to the COVID test centre for West Cork being located in Ballycartine. It's not. It's actually located at the GAA grounds in Ballina OK, so just to clarify that, that's the test, COVID test centre for West Cork is in uh, Ballina Cork today on Scene 103.
4: Call Patricia with your comment.
1: 1850 Three, 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 one, oh, three. And I'm not ignoring your comments I promise you I will get back to them but I want to move to a different topic because a Christmas toy appeal for children in need here in Cork has been set up and will operate from the Baby Bank in Formoy to outline how the appeal will work. I'm joined by Patricia Pocus of the Cork branch of the Lackin and Emily's Baby Bank. Good morning to you, Patricia. Good morning. My name's Sake. You're welcome to the programme. Now, some people will be unaware of this baby bank. Can you just explain um, when it was set up and, and how it's been operating?
6: Yeah, of course. Uh, well, the baby bank started in Kildare and Meath in 2017. It was set up by Laken and Emily. They set up a Facebook page to kind of...
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
2: Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello. We've just suddenly, the line's just suddenly... Oh, you, hi, uh, sorry, you're there. You're back on me. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. It, it, the
6: line it, it was set up in Kildare? And me, yeah, by uh, Lakin and Emily. Okay. It started off uh, just to help families with basic needs. It started with uh, maternity packs. So and uh, all the basics that moms needed for their hospital bags, really, with nappies, milk, uh, wipes, stuff like that. And then before they knew it, people started bringing bigger donations with, uh, uh, like, baby swings, cots, clothes, and it just kind of grew from there. The Cork branch started in May, as we found um, the the page ourselves, and we said, you know, it'd be nice to have something like that in Cork to help other people.
1: So you would put up on the page that we have a family and obviously financially not able to afford a baby might be in need of a, a buggy or a stroller or a cot and other families who no longer had use of theirs pass them on. Was that the way it operated?
6: Yeah, that, that's it. And sometimes people, you know, will buy uh, nappies and uh, formula, stuff like that as well and to donate to the bank.
1: Wow, people are so kind. And have people, were many families helped out since May? Uh,
6: In Cork, Colonia, we helped hundreds of families, really.
1: That's terrific. That's terrific. So you decided to move it on and do a Christmas toy appeal. Explain to me how this is going to operate. You want people to sponsor a child?
6: Yes, uh, so we have, obviously with COVID now, a lot of families are struggling, especially with Christmas. And so we said we'll make a toy appeal to kind of help them out. We started off with, like, good toys, uh, secondhand toys in good condition. But because of COVID, we said it probably would be better just to get new uh, toys. And we weren't getting that many donations. And we thought of a great idea to have sponsor, a chat.
1: Having a problem, somebody keeps trying to get in on Patricia's line for something. So you're back with us. So you you decided to come up with sponsor uh, sp- sponsor a child.
6: Yeah. So how that works is basically if you want to help, we will uh, allocate uh, a child. We'll just tell the age of them and maybe an interest and in gender. So you kind of just buy whatever you really want for them, just to help them out for Christmas to get a Christmas present.
1: So you'd have, for example, a five-year-old little boy who is mad about Liverpool football, for, example. Yeah, for yeah. example, yeah, yeah. and then when you go to the toy shop, it's with that little boy in mind that you yeah. go you, you, you go and uh, buy. It's lovely. It's a really, really uh, sweet uh, idea. Do you give suggestions to people as to what toys, or are you leaving it up to the individuals?
6: We really leave it up, up to them. We just kind of give them the gender, the age, and the interest of the child. But at the end of the day, it's really up to them. The child will be happy with whatever they get for Christmas. We also accept uh, vouchers. We Some people donated some Smith vouchers that we can you know, use online.
1: Okay, very good. So, so people can you can, you can buy if you know a family wants a particular toy for their for their son or or, or daughter. When do you want to have the to- toys donated and back to you? Have you a closing date?
6: Uh, we're planning to uh, have the toys out to the kids by the second week of December to kind of give the families peace of mind that they're you know set for Christmas.
1: Okay, so uh, where's the drop
6: off point? In, uh, we have two drop-off points in Formoy and Cork at the moment, so that will be there. But after the lockdown, we will be getting help to, correct, to collect and to deliver all around Cork.
1: OK, so you might let us know after the lockdown when we know where we're going, where where collection points are so that people can, can drop off uh, items. And I also saw on your Facebook page, uh, Patricia, you're looking for Christmas decorations. Are you still looking for those?
6: yeah we we have some families that you know uh that are, would be in need of those so if someone has any decorations or Christmas trees or anything that they don't need anymore, there are families who will you know uh use that
1: yeah because they can they can be expensive items, and if you're on a limited budget, it can be expensive to go out and buy an artificial Christmas tree and, and everything that goes with it
6: yes exactly
1: okay and are, are you many families looking for help with toys, Patricia?
6: Uh, well, we have uh, four uh, thousand kids overall in Ireland from the different ban- branches from the Baby Bank, but we have over two hundred kids in Cork alone. My God,
1: my God, that's a lot of that's a lot of of little ones for sure. Yeah, and, and I, the
6: cases keep adding up. You know, we get cases every day, really.
1: Well, I think there's families this year who will struggle who never struggled before, but because of COVID, have lost jobs.
6: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I can tell by your accent you're you're not a native of of Cork.
6: No, no, I'm Polish.
1: And how long have you been here? Uh, fifteen years. Fifteen years. All right. Yeah. So you're you're no going home for Christmas for you this year.
6: No, definitely
1: not. No. When were you last home?
6: Uh, two years ago.
1: Uh, is that tough?
6: Um, it can be at times. You know, everyone will miss their families, but. You know, sometimes there is obviously no other ways beyond our...
1: um There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. 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 And 15 years, Cork is home now at this stage, I'd say, is it?
6: Yeah, we started off in Cork, then we moved to Tipperary and I'm back in Cork (laughs) now.
1: (laughs) There's nothing like Cork. Listen, (laughs) uh, Patricia, and people can find out more on your Facebook page...
6: Yeah,
1: absolutely. We have, uh, so our Facebook page is Laken and Emily's Baby Bank Fermoy slash Cork Branch. Okay, Laken is L-A-K-E-N. Laken and Emily's uh, Baby Bank and it's the Moy Branch is the one you're looking for. We wish you good luck with it. It's a, it's a lovely idea for people to help out our own children here in Cork. It, it really is a lovely. Good luck with it, Emily. And if you have any drop-off points when we come out of Level 5 lockdown pop an email or contact John Paul and we certainly will mention it for you.
6: Great, thank you so much.
1: OK, thanks a million. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Patricia Pocus of the Lakin and Emily's Baby Bank, the Formoy branch. John Paul, taking your calls at 1850 333 103 along with Sadie or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: We were talking about dog fouling earlier on. A couple of comments in on that, including one from Frank in Tallow in County Waterford, when he heard Councillor Seamus McGrath said, "You need proof of dog fouling. It's very hard for the litter wardens to prove what dog messed up a footpath or not." Oh, well, our Frank in Tallow in County Waterford is questioning that and says, "Proof. Almost everybody has a phone with a camera on it. Use them and stop those who claim to love their dogs but won't clean up after them. We need some big fines." to stop this happening. If we started fining more people uh, they'd be quick enough to clean up after their dog the next time. And then Noreen from West Cork was on to say Patricia I was walking one day and I met a couple out with their dog. Dog did his business so I decided to keep a close eye on what was going on here. Now she, the wife, partner had a doggy bag in her hand but when I passed the partner scooped down Pulled up a load of grass and just covered it with the grass to make absolutely sure. Sure, I went back and checked. They either, they had their dog bag, they had their bags with them, but decided just didn't want to clean up. But obviously made it look like because they saw Noreen was there made it look like that they were going to clean up after the dog but as soon as Noreen passed but she kept a close eye on him they covered it up with grass that's just absolutely and totally frustrating Hi Patricia Happy 30th for last Friday thank you for that just to congratulate a gentleman I met in the L- NDLS centre you know where you go to get your driving licence in Mallow a couple of weeks ago he was very professional as well uh, as well looking after me He was very happy in his job which is great to see in these tough times and I can't tell you the number of times we've had people come back and say that the staff that work at the NDLS centre particularly the one in Malibu we get it from other NDLS centres as well that they are the most professional happy smiley bunch of people who obviously do love their job and they're you know constantly every day dealing with members of the public and it is, I don't think I've ever I was going to say it's rare that I was somebody complaining but rare would even be the wrong word because I don't think we've ever had a complaint from somebody saying that somebody was rude to me at the NDLS centre. If anything it's like that text from that listener people saying just how professional and friendly and helpful and happy the workers are. So well done. I don't know if they have radios on or not but if you're heading into the NDLS NDLS Centre in Mallow tell them that we were talking about them and we are congratulating them on the great work and the service that they provide long may it last I need to take a break we have news at 12 midday on the way we'll take a look at a lot of calls and commentary coming in particularly about teachers wanting a morale boosting early Christmas break because of the stressful time they've had since September a lot of commentary coming in on that and we look for your gardening questions for Peter Dowdell 1850 333 103 (laughs) Work today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And thank you to a number of people who have sent in comments reacting to my piece that so we started the programme on when we played out uh, the interview with Cora Desmond, the young woman who was in uh, court yesterday and who watched her stepmother being jailed for two years for abusing her from the age of 6 to 16. Lots of people sending in uh, kind thoughts and uh, kind words about Cora. But there's a lot of commentary in about people pointing the finger of blame and who knew what and how was it allowed to go on for so long. And obviously the courts have decided on this so I'm not getting into uh, any of the, that kind of speculation but just to let people know, I have seen all your commentary I'm just uh, not uh, calling out all of those comments but lots of people just wanting to wish her well including Kathleen who says I want want to wish her the very best for the future and I really do hope she can put it all behind her now she's a brave girl and deserves all the love that she can get along with her little uh, sister and by the way for people who were affected by uh, Cora's story and of course Cora decided to go public because she wants to encourage other victims of what is domestic abuse uh, to speak out but particularly children who are suffering at the hands of parents or stepparents or somebody else in the household The ch- uh, Childline is available at 1800 eight hundred double six double six double six one eight hundred double six double six double six. 1800 66666 You can also free text Childline at 50101 Free text five zero one zero Uh, you can live message them also on childline.ie 1850 333103 I mentioned before news at 12 somebody was saying how nice the staff were at the NDLS centre in Malham. In particular, one gentleman didn't have the gentleman's name, but just saying how friendly and helpful and how professional he was. And it's always good when when you get a good level of service to acknowledge it and to let other people know as well. I'm always happy to read out those texts and comments that come in. That prompted somebody to say, good morning. I rang Bank of Ireland yesterday to sort out a problem I was having with my card. The young lady who helped me was by far the nicest most helpful I've experienced in a long time also Iona Electrical I don't know where they're based but this texter says superb staff there also but then says the texter I had to ring air sweet lord the woman at the end eventually hung up on me. Seriously, who manages this company? And I'm glad you sent that in because it's a piece I've had all week that I've been meaning to mention. Uh, it's a piece I made the papers earlier in the week about AIR and Comreg, who are the watchdog who oversees the communication sector, is now to hold discussions with the government to see if legislation is needed to force phone and broadband providers to deliver a better standard of care to their customers. And Comreg, in particular, have condemned... As has completely unacceptable ongoing problems with air customers having experience with trying to make contact with the provider. It also defended its role, though, in ensuring that communications companies deal with customers' complaints in an efficient way. And they do say that they, you know, that they have helped out people in the past. But last week, the Minister for Communications, Eamon Ryan, said, speaking of air customers, he said air's customer service was totally unsatisfactory and something the company is going to have to address. He was the one then who said Comreg would have to do something about Air's shocking poor performance. And then the uh, Keon Corla, Sean O'Farrell got involved. He said Air's service was appalling and added that growing consumer concern about the company raised profound questions as to whether Comreg is doing its job or not. So obviously that's why Comreg are out there defending themselves and they, they are saying that they have, they point to thousands of complaints that they've resolved over the the years and, you know, ones with AIR as well. So, I mean, I know when we hear The frustration from people who've been trying to get through to air and are left on hold for endless periods of time. And in this case, somebody finally gets through and then the person decides to hang up on them. Oh, my God, the frustration of uh, that. Like we always say to people, get on to a comrade if you really are getting nowhere. I mean, try to solve and sort the issue and try to have patience. And you do. I know John Paul, who deals with a lot of people who contact him about various consumer issues, including air and he does get a lot of calls about air he's always saying to them that you need to have patience when you ring them because they do take an excessively long period of time to answer their calls. I'm assuming they don't have enough staff on, I'm probably thinking, is the reason. But you just have to have a little bit of patience. But Air, I read this in the paper during the week on that criticism of them at both the DAW level and from Comreg. And a spokeswoman for Air said resolving customer care wait times was, wait for this, its number one priority. And she pointed out that the average wait time last week was under 10 Minutes, She said the company was making steady progress and apologised for delays some customers had experienced. So if anyone has been on to air last week or this week, let me know, please. Was your wait time on average under 10 minutes? Because it would be terrific. I think, you know, people would put up with 10 minutes. But we've had people who've been on the phone for close to an hour or people who are watching the clock tick by. They might be on for 40 minutes, then they get disconnected. Or someone like that, you, you finally get through to human being and then the person hangs up on you or you get disconnected. Will we say disconnected rather than hung up? Because we've no way of knowing what the woman did uh, or not. But anyway, that's what AIRA defending it, saying it is their number one priority, which certainly is good to hear if they are starting to pick up calls and talk to people considering they're a communications company if they are doing it in under 10 minutes so let us know if you're on to air I've been on in the last week are they bringing their A game and are they better at answering the calls? Uh, someone else says AIR is a shocking service. I wouldn't be recommending it to anyone and that's kind of the general gist of the cause. We always get in about AIR. I can see phone lines now starting to ring. I'm hoping some of them are positive towards AIR but my gut instinct tells me they may not be but let's wait and see. eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. 333 103 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text their WhatsApp 0862 103 103 three and then back to teachers. There's a lot of commentary in on teachers and this is to do with the TUI who are saying that teachers need a little bit of an extra break. They're calling it a morale boost and they want the Minister for Education to close the schools early, give the teachers a couple of extra days off because the particularly after the nine month struggle teachers have gone through because of COVID-19. Some of your thoughts coming in. Martin and Balanine, teachers are off for longer at Christmas than most other workers which is a good point So they for two weeks and they suck it up and pull your weight like everybody else says Martin rather annoyed Mary says Hi Patricia I'm the mother of three teachers here's somebody who comes in defence of teachers I saw firsthand the work that they did during their time off during the shutdown from March through to June it was horrendous they also had their own school going children at home to teach like all other parents trying to get to all the work that they needed to do with the limited amount of commuters in the house was not fun. One has a senior position and it was nightmare stuff. Now that the teachers union is talking about two extra days, if I understand it, for God's sake, it's only two extra days. We're hoping for some kind of normality for Christmas. Would people chill a little bit under these difficult circumstances, says Mary, who as a mother of three teachers comes in their defence. There's not many others, Mary, I have to say, running in their defence. John and Clonakilty. Patricia, are they for real closing schools early for Christmas? They're only back after a week off for Halloween, for God's sake. And they they were off for eight months earlier this year already when you combine the shutdown, the first lockdown and then the summer holidays. They should shut up the whole country early if that's the case. If you take on board the arguments of the teachers and their stress levels, surely everyone's at work is under the same stress. Close down the entire country, says John. Eileen says, hi, it is a disgrace for teachers to be looking for extra time off. What about the parents that are working? They won't get extra time off to be with their children. It's OK for the teachers that have school going children. Why? Because it won't affect them. They'll be off with their with their sons and daughters It just maddens me, says Eileen. And then another texter. Hi Trish. I'm sitting here at my work desk at home and I'm getting angrier by the minute listening to you talk about teachers wanting extra time off. I have worked every single day since the first lockdown back in March. Teachers had six months off full pay and now they want more paid time off. Seriously, that's just greed. Says this listener, working from home, no sympathy at all. Someone else says, teachers, my eye. An awful lot of people are working very hard. I went for a COVID test on a very wet, miserable day. And the conditions that those testers were working in at a drive-through test centre was really tough and it was bitterly cold. But they were all so pleasant and they put up with uh, it. Teachers are a disgrace, says this uh, texter. Tim and Yaw says, hi, with regards to teachers getting time off, I ask you, is this a joke? They are an absolute disgraceful group paid for by you and me and I, the general public, through our taxes. The reality is they've been off work for most of the year when frontline workers and others had to go to work. This is pure abuse. And the government needs to stand up to these people. The education system in other countries made a far better contribution than the Irish teachers. In other words, they kept the children in school through most of the pandemic. If you ask me, teachers here are just looking for an excuse not to go to work. And that's from Tim in Yall. Joan says, I am saddened by what people are saying about teachers and the fact that about 90%, Joan, other than the one mother... And your good self, you're the only two who've defended them so far. So the majority of our callers today not happy with teachers. Joan, like the other texter, uh, my children are teachers. And believe me, said so Joan, they would prefer to be in school than to be at home because of Covid. They find it very hard though when they're at work having to speak through a mask and then one of my sons has to eat his lunch sitting out in the car. He has to lug his laptop and all of his books from classroom to classroom. Not all teachers are bad. Please give credit to the good teachers. It hasn't been easy on them. And by the way, says Joan, as the mother of teachers, I don't agree with more time off but let's not be hard on all teachers. Uh, Some of them are doing an amazing Uh, job. Una says everybody has worked hard and is under pressure for the last year. No one has had it easy. So why are teachers being so precious about it all? And then final one Tom Infomoy says what about all of the supermarket workers stacking shelves to make sure everyone was fed Every one of them, every day, putting their lives at risk. Why? Because they are dealing with the general public. What about the doctors and the nurses? They get no break. Why should teachers be treated any differently? Okay, just as I say, just a sample of some of the calls coming in. But what is interesting, we put up a poll on Twitter this morning talking about the fact that the TUI say classes should finish uh, early. And we asked people this is this this isn 't scientific because it 's just the people that are using Twitter this morning. We asked people should the schools close uh, early? People may be surprised by this fifty five percent of people said yes and forty four percent of people said no. so people on Twitter were in favor of schools uh, closing early certainly that 's not the reaction that we are getting from here into either into the radio station by calls or by texts and uh, WhatsApps. So our lines remain open. We are in particular looking for your gardening questions as well. 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103
3: with McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com.
1: The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork
3: County Council. Celebrate a real Cork Christmas. Find out more at corkcoco.ie.
1: St Vincent de Paul are experiencing extremely high demand for their services this year and they're appealing to the general public to support their online fundraising and also local collections. The annual car draw will take place again and tickets are priced at €5 each and they're now being distributed to households. Please return the ticket stubs and the money to their office on Tucky Street in Cork or you can purchase the €5 tickets online at the St Vincent de Paul website. Tildalby Community Development will have their weekly lotto draw tomorrow, Thursday four o'clock in the afternoon in the community office with a jackpot of €1,200. The tickets are on sale locally. And the running fireman, Alex O'Shea, is looking to take on the challenge of helping his virtual guide dog to travel the world in 80 days and raise funds for the Irish guide dogs for the blind. To join the fund, simply make a donation to justgiving.com slash roundtheworld 80 days are and send in your kilometres or miles to the Facebook Challenge Alex. All proceeds will go towards supporting the life-changing work of the Irish Guide Dogs. Cork today on C103
3: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your
1: comment 086 OK and a couple of as soon as I mentioned AIR and bad customer service the phone lines lit up as I knew they would some of the calls in Norma said I made an inquiry with AIR I wanted to switch to them for my mobile phone everything was fine signed up for the contract and they said they would send out the SIM cards but the SIM cards never arrived that went on for the last couple of months so no SIM cards so Norma Obviously isn't using the mobile phone with air but the bills started to arrive now Norma's ended up in the situation that the debt collectors are coming after her because she owes these bills to air for a mobile phone that she's never used but obviously there's a monthly charge of whatever it is uh, 30 euro whatever package uh, she signed up to she said it's got so bad that she spoke to the debt collectors explained what happened and said can you sort out what I'm going through and they said uh, no sorry miss nothing to do with us but she says she's still getting calls from the debt collectors now we're going to pass on Uh, Comrade's number to Air to see if they can uh, sort them out. And Comrade to others, by the way, who are having problems not just with Air but with any of your communication, any of your phone providers or broadband providers Comrade have been great and have sorted out a lot of customers' Who are having issues and I know Sergeant John Paul will say people who have contacted us and he's passed them on to Comreg, and Comreg have sorted them out particularly in relation to air. It's a Dublin number 01 Maria said I spoke with Air last week and applied to update my broadband to fibre and instead of upgrading me they disconnected me. When I rang I was on the phone four and a half hours and in that time I spoke to seven different people. I was cut off twice. No one could help me. I don't know how any elderly person can do it. I was at my wits end. Still, by the way, don't have broadband. Yet the sting in the tail says, Marie, I'm still paying for it. And no one has even contacted me to apologise. God, that is so frustrating, isn't it? Eileen said, worst company ever. I was waiting an hour and 20 minutes on the phone for customer service about three weeks ago. Thankfully, now I'm now out of contract and I've moved to digital, Digital Forge. What a difference. No problem since uh, joining them. It's just uh, incredible, whatever it is. But like air are aware of it, even though they they did come out and say it is their number one priority to make sure that they have better wait times for their customers. So we'll see how they get on with that. Okay. also into... Uh, very quickly looking back just more of your comments on teachers. Those people complaining about teachers are sickening says this texter, teachers have a tough job and I think a lot of people will, will agree and I know certainly when children were being homeschooled, how many people did we, did we hear and say that teachers have one hell of a tough job and parents couldn't wait for the schools to reopen. But I just think it's the fact of the teachers union and the way it's been phrased phased, that they have worked so hard and that they're so stressed and it's been, you know, an extraordinary intensive working period and just my point on it all, It's been that way for everyone. You know, I I don't think it's... Somebody said, why should... It's almost like teachers are feeling a little bit precious and I think that's what's getting to people and that's what's annoying people. My name is Catherine. My daughter is a teacher. She wants to be in the classroom, not at home. Not all teachers are the same. Sandy said, just listening to the begrudgers who are batting teachers... So here they go again, bashing anyone who looks for a pay rise or better conditions. By the way, do these bios realise that it's teachers that provide the education that makes their Johnny and Mary, bank managers, doctors, etc. By the way, in my opinion, it's parents' behaviour, not the children, that brings COVID via the, school, via the children into the schools, says Sandy, who is coming in support of teachers. Denise says, Hi Patricia, I have two friends who are secondary school teachers working at the moment to clear up something. They uh, were absolutely not off work during the first lockdown. They had to work longer hours than usual to make sure their students got the best education possible. And they spent quite some time helping sixth year students in a very practical way, as well as offering emotional support while the Department of Education dithered over what to do with the Leaving Cert. I have never seen them so stressed. If you ask me, its the Department of Education should be be criticised in all this not the teachers. And that's from Denise in West uh, Cork. 1850, And another listener who was responding to air about, remember Norma, who didn't get her SIM cards and then the debt collectors uh, arrived. Somebody else had very same experience as <clears throat> Norma. Debt collectors' emails started to arrive. It was a disgrace. I didn't have a service, so that's why I wasn't paying the bill. And yet I got sent on to the Debt uh, collector. Mairead says, air, appalling customer service, the worst customer service I've ever experienced in my life. It's a disgrace. The the issue, even once I've dealt with them, the issue still hasn't been resolved after several communications. It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Mairead, I pass on to you as well. If you are not getting anywhere with them, get on to Comrag and see will they get involved because they do get involved and Comrag were the first out to say that they have helped solve not just for air customers but for other customers but they have in particular been dealing with air customers. 018049668 if you think they can be of help to you and just final one when we were talking with Deputy Sean Sherlock, who is putting a call through to the HSE to open up either a permanent or a temporary COVID-19 test centre in North Cork. And, in, you know, and he was citing the one that was in Mallow, which was great at the race, race course, but then they closed that. But now with the numbers rising and hopefully they will come back down again, but with more people coming forward for tests, we need to make it as easy as possible. Because as he said, 15% of people don't turn up for their COVID tests. These are tests that have been arranged either by a doctor or because they've been contact traced and they don't turn up and he's just fearful that if it's not made easy for people or if the test centre isn't close by that people might just say well I'm not going to bother going you know they might not have the transport to get them if you're in North Cork you need to go to the city now in order to get your test Colm said he was tested three times in one week in the test centre behind the Mallow Hospital and in Grona and in CUH he said I can't see any problem it's a matter of your doctor booking you in Colm that's not that's not that you've completely misunderstood what we were talking about Sean wasn't the there not a problem getting a test, it's getting people to go to the test centre if it's too far away from them. That's what he's saying. Try to make it as easy as possible for people. 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Let's turn our attention to gardening. Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, will join us next. If you have a question for Peter, get it in, please. Court today on scene 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. And just to wrap up on a few comments, coming in on the COVID test centres and the need for one in North Cork a listener says I think GPs should be able to test for the virus at their GP practice would that not make it easier for everyone. On teachers a listener says I'm a staff nurse at Cork University Hospital I'll be working the 23rd, 24th and 26th of December. I'll be working the 28th of December and the 1st of January. I will put my two babies to bed on the 22nd of December and I won't see them until Christmas morning it's a pity about poor teachers uh, says this staff at CUH teachers make me cross says another texter I'm working six to seven days a week just to survive and to try to keep my business afloat and that is during all during a COVID-19 pandemic give me a break teachers you were off for most of the year on full pay there are weeks when I struggled just to pay my staff and by the way I ended up getting nothing no pay at all and on air Sandy says on people who are having problems with the SIM cards from air air use a courier to deliver the sim cards for bill pay customers but they post the prepaid cards instead i'd run in with air earlier this year i easily spent hours on the phone trying to sort it out the couriers are only obliged to try to deliver or phone the customer a few times before sending it back to the air store Without customer, our air operator's been aware of this, as far as I'm aware, says Sandy. And then that makes the situation of them not knowing if you've got the SIM card or not. I'm arrayed by email to patricia at c103.ie. I have had ongoing issues with air, trying to get a refund for the last few months. Worst customer service I've ever experienced in my life. Absolutely appalling. Uh, would never recommend them to anyone. Getting a complete run around every time they just seem to come up with a different excuse. I've I've contacted them by phone, I've contacted them by email, I've sent complaint letters, and it still has not been resolved. 1850 333 103. Well, somebody who will be able to resolve some of your questions is Peter Dowdle of the Irish Gardener.com, who joined. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
2: I thought you were going to say that somebody who will be able to resolve your air queries would be Peter Don. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't.
1: Well, if you could do that, mate, you would be loved by so many people. I can tell you that. And, and I was
2: asking John Paul. I was asking John Paul before I came on air. Will we talk about air or teachers, or will we keep it to gardening? Oh, no, so. we'll,
1: we'll definitely keep it to gardening. And thank you for your lovely message on the 30th birthday uh, program last Friday. Not it was at really all. Lovely and came as a great surprise. Okay, now Good. Straight, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And let me start with the lovely text in from Anne where is it just want to say thank you for the advice Peter gave me when I text in during the summer looking for help with my wedding cake tree it wasn't looking great at the time but the advice he gave me I took on board and I'd like to report it's come on well since
2: Ah good I'm delighted dear because it's a beautiful beautiful tree so I'm glad to hear it's doing well
1: Okay, and we've had some emails in that we've sent on to you and I made sure John paul sent them on because I can't pronounce uh, any of them. The first one is from uh, Vincent who wants to ask about their tua, and I don't, can't even occidentalis, is it?
2: <laughs> you know you're you're there, you're right you're, it's well it's tuya, tuya occidentalis and oh. then the last one is smaract.
1: Okay, it's what is that? What kind of a t- it's a tree obviously, is it? <laughs>
2: Yeah, the the common name is the 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 Western white cedar or hemlock they call it, but it's a well you you know it if you saw it. It's a, it's a conical shaped conifer. It's one of these conifers that that keeps this perfect conical shape. Uh, with no pruning. It grows to about 8 or 10 feet. It's a lovely conifer actually, but the the problem here is that it's going brown, isn't that it?
1: It's, yeah, Vincent writes that it's gone all brown on the outside but there's still some green on the inside. He said it happened a couple of months ago. They are in the middle of two, 20 very healthy trees, all about 5 foot apart, and they were planted about 5 years ago. They're 5 to 6 feet in height now. Will they recover or will they die?
2: I'm afraid the answer is bad news. Uh, the answer is they won't recover and the answer is they will die. And this does happen and you do see it happen to, to cedar or to tuyas where you'd see kind of random ones dying within a hedge. And there's several possible reasons. The most likely is is poor soil, poor poor drainage. So they're shallow-rooted plants and if the if the water if the rainwater so if you're very heavy clay or if you've any bit of compacted soil uh, and if if it's holding water around the root zone that can just lead to fungal infections which will kill it off and unfortunately that's that's the end of it and you could try pruning it for if you want first pruning it to prune out any any because you see because of the perfect shape it has Trace, pruning it doesn't really work because you lose that shape but if, if it's practical you could try pruning it a bit uh, treating it with copper sulfate uh, solution mixed with water and then feed it feed it heavily with something like the nature safe seaweed feed to drive on growth uh, but i'm afraid it's very unlikely that it, it's probably bad soil system or a poor soil around the root zone it could also be they have quite an extensive root system so like if you were digging let's say 20 or even 15 or 20 feet away from from it you could have damaged the root system believe it or not the roots could travel that far from it Uh, it's not unusual to see just one or two in a mature hedge go like this i'm afraid um because you can have pockets of poor soil and pockets of compaction and I remember I was speaking to a friend of mine who's who works with the Department of Agriculture in, in diagnosing diseases we were looking at another job there in the last few weeks and he was saying that he'd seen a few of these recently as well uh, and he was testing for all the nasties and there was all sorry when I say all the nasties there's some notifiable ones like Phytophthora and things like this and they're all coming back negative for them which is good news but uh, it, it's it's good news on the on the greater scheme of things but uh, it's bad news unfortunately for Vincent I don't think oh, they are going to sorry re- re- about re- that
1: Vincent and and uh, uh, also emailing says I have a lavatera candy floss which I bought earlier this year it has flourished and is now gone very leggy should I prune it for next year if so when should I do that it's still in a pot should I plant it out or plant it into a bigger pot
2: ok well pruning it yes but not at this time of the year it's too cold now to prune it so the lavatera tree, you'll know it if I say it's the mallow plant
3: uh, oh, I it's a it. lovely pink yeah. flowering
2: plant yeah Um don't prune it now it's it's the wrong time of the year you could prune it i would say when the temperatures are increasing at the other side of winter so kind of march early april prune it back then now you can prune it quite hard and that will encourage bushier growth down low but but be careful when you're doing it not to remove all the foliage because if you remove all the foliage at that stage you do risk losing it so you might when i say prune it back hard you might do it gradually prune let's say the top 10 percent at the end of march give it a week or two and prune it back a bit harder and, and let it bush out on its own i would put it into a bigger pot you could do that at this time of the year um, and to give it more root room and then I would plant it out next year or else into a bigger pot make sure it's in a bigger pot because they will get pot and that forces them to get leggy as well now they do tend on saying all that and even if you follow the best advice with them they do tend to be short lived so after a few years they do tend to curl up and die regardless Trish so the good news is that they do take very easily from cuttings but again not at this time of the year take, a cutting, take some cuttings from it uh, during next summer so at least you'll always have replacements coming on board
1: Okay, now Tess doesn't specify what plants she's talking about, but she just says, "Hi, Peter. Summer stuff that didn't get cut back. Can you cut it back now?" Thanking you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a bit too general, though, from Tess. <laughs> I'd love i love if it was that easy. Um, it, it it does depend if it's summer stuff in the, in terms of if it's herbaceous perennials. In other words, your summer flowering perennials that have that have kind of gone brown. Uh, and they've gone brown over the ground now well those perennials can be totally cut back now if you want because all the life has gone back in under the ground into the root system beneath the ground so everything above the ground is is dead if you like now you can leave them there during the winter and they might provide some food for, for birds and insect life and other things so by all means leave them there uh, and then cut it back let's say next March but you can cut it back for cleanliness now if that's what we're talking about with the, the summer stuff yeah. if, and I imagine it is yeah. if it's summer flowering shrubs and that it's a different situation you probably leave it off to next spring.
1: OK. Uh, and then uh, Mary in the Wild she also signs her name Mary in the Wild West. Uh, she regularly, <laughs> regularly texts her in the gardening slot. Hi Peter, is it OK to replant flowers through a layer of rain-rinsed seaweed in a re bed?
2: I would say yes, you know, she said flowers, Um, it it depends what you're planting, if you're just planting shrubs or if you're planting things like spring bulbs and things like that for flowering, obviously in the spring, uh, then yes, you should be fine. If it's things like bedding plants, like maybe cyclamen for Christmas and winter pansies, they might be a bit too soft for it, but if it's something a bit more substantial like a shrub or as I say, like bulbs for next spring, then you should be fine, yeah.
1: Uh, Etta says, "I have a peace lily. I've had it for about four or five years now, but the white flower has never come out. Any reason why?
2: I don't know. Obviously, the the, the reason. But I would try feeding. It's obviously growing in a pot. So the peace lily is the the." the, the Oh, strands... Oh, God, the, the name has, has escaped me. um. Is that the St. Anthony's lily? What I would
1: call... No, it's no, a different that one, that Trish.
2: One. It's, it's an indoor plant. No, it's an indoor plant. Spathiphyllum, Lovely, glossy, dark, dark green leaf and this lovely white pure white flower against the dark green it's a fantastic plant so obviously it's indoors so obviously it's growing in a pot uh so i would say feed it now there is a Biogold plant food which is very good for indoor plants and outdoor plants but it's a very good one it's called bio gold it's another irish product uh, and that's a good one so i would give it a feed with that to try and promote some some flowers uh, i imagine it's as simple as that if the plant is doing well and, and it, there's no other signs of 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 stress then i would say just just give it a feed maybe repot it and feed it and it should start producing flowers
1: and a, t- a text in from Mary. Do you have to bring in geraniums for the winter? I have them in very large pots outside.
2: Yes. So if they're the what everybody refers to as geraniums, they're the kind of summer flowering, which are actually pelargoniums. So they are frost tender, yes. Uh, and so they would need either to be covered with horticultural fleece during the coldest nights or else brought into a, a greenhouse or a tunnel or, or something like that to get them through the winter. But so then then you you see you also have perennial geraniums which are actual geraniums but they die back under the ground that uh, they're not the bedding what we call geranium so the the true geranium which is the cranesbill which is a, a herbaceous perennial will die back under the ground they're fine to be left out but if it's a pelargonium which we grow as for some reason, call them geraniums in, in bedding plant schemes, they would need protection. Bring yeah. them in,
1: bring them in. And another Mary yeah. says, hi, Patricia, question for Peter. My beach hedge is too wide. When is the best time to cut it back, please?
2: I'd leave that now until just the beginning of March next year. I'd leave it off until then.
1: An infestation of mushrooms. How do you get rid of them? Says the texter.
2: Yeah, well, the one wet. way you want to get rid of them? Yeah, but it's, it's the it time is, of the year, is. isn't it? It is a time of the year, so I wouldn't be in a mad rush to get rid of them. I mean, they're, they're possibly field mushroom or not. I, I actually admire them. I love admiring them. And you're facing such a battle to, to eradicate them anyway because it's not them. It's the conditions that you need to change. It's caused by poor drainage. and But there's fungi everywhere and fungi is breaking down the green vegetation into the soil. So, I mean, it, it's a necessary part of the, the, the rich tapestry if you like so I wouldn't be in a, r- a rush to kill them or to get rid of them. The, the, the blooms the toadstools that you see now, the mushrooms above the ground will die off naturally soon enough anyway and then you won't see them again till next year. They're, it's caused by poor drainage and obviously fungal spores in the soil to answer the question so to, to eradicate it you'd need to improve the drainage and probably replace the soil
1: Maureen in Clonachilty, is this the right time of the year to put manure on rhubarb? Would horse manure be better than farmyard manure?
2: I wouldn't say one would be better than the other. They'll both be very, very good for it. And yes, it is the right time to, to apply a mulch of, of either farmyard or horse manure around rhubarb, rose bushes, any, anything really. A good winter mulch of manure around the garden is excellent, excellent thing to be doing at the moment. And we've had calls
1: from someone in Bishopstown to congratulate Peter on his piece on biodiversity in the Irish Examiner recently, especially to do with roundabouts. This caller says that many tidy towns are now taking up what he said.
2: Brilliant! I'm delighted to hear it, and thank you very much for the for the the compliment. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a hymn sheet I've been singing from for the last god knows how many years, and it's it's kind of common sense. Instead of using these intensively hybridized plants in in public planting schemes. I'm delighted to see Cork City Council. I, and Waterford, I think, led the way here. that they, they were they were really going with pollinator-friendly planting. And the, If anyone drove in around Dungarvan in the last few years, you'd have seen fantastic displays in the roundabouts and on the roadsides. But Cork is following suit, and I'm delighted to see it. And uh, instead of these... Hybridized bedding plants, which are useless to bees and insect life, we're beginning to see pollinator friendly planting, which is far, far nicer to look at, anyway.
1: Yeah, that's I have a sister who lives in Dungarvan, so I know exactly what you don't, but in in Dungarvan, and it, it always makes me smile when I drive past. It looks stunning.
2: It's funny you say that, Trish. I really, it's funny you say that because what I did write in that article was: it's hard not to drive past it without smiling. Yeah, you know, it it it, it does bring a smile. It lifts the spirits, and that's that's how all-encompassing nature and the natural world is. We we it envelops us. It, it it really, really does. I could go on all day about it, but when you see good planting like that. It's just, it's good for what's happening around us. It must be something subconscious inside us realises it's the right thing to do and makes us smile. But yeah, yeah Dungarvan, hats off to Waterford County yeah, Council. Yeah, it's
1: terrific and, and uh, good, on, good on the other local Tidy Towns groups who are taking on board your suggestion. We've got to leave it there, Peter. Have a good week. And we'll talk to and you next you. week. For it. Take care, bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irish dot uh, com. Uh, just quickly, a couple of texts in. John says when people are complaining about uh, teachers and that the teachers were out of work during lockdown, uh, did they not? Were they not on reduced payments? Were they not on a COVID payment? Uh, no, they weren't. They were on. They were on full pay uh, pay during lockdown. And John and Cove, for those giving out about teachers today, if they're so worried, then homeschool your children, self educate them. If you're not happy with teachers uh, just because teachers are looking for a couple of days off extra at uh, Christmas don't send your children into school I know of teachers that work long hours to get ready for the next day and in fairness John I think anyone who is giving out about the extra holidays that's been mooted by TUI were not in any way giving out about teachers and the work that teachers do. They want to keep them in the classroom uh, because they appreciate the work that they do Okay that's where I've got to leave it for today. Thanks to John Paul and to Sadie uh, for taking your calls, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we are back with you uh, tomorrow morning at, at ten o'clock. the then, I'm Patricia Messenger reminding you that there is a yellow wind warning in place from three o'clock this afternoon. So, batten down the hatches, stay safe. Talk to
6: you tomorrow at ten. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?